Today we conclude the series, Does God Believe in Atheist? And maybe like the young lady in the skit, you really want to know so that you can believe. And all throughout this series, we've tried to just throw you, show you that there is evidence that it is rational, that the evidence does point to a creator. And so today you're going to hear a lot of quotes because sometimes we as Christians have been accused of being non-thinking people. Matter of fact, the books that I've been reading by the atheists, Dawkins and Hitchens, they say this. And by the way, I like to think of myself as a pretty intelligent person. Now, we're not going to vote on that or anything, but I like to think of myself as a pretty intelligent person. I like to think. I like to grapple with issues. I, I like tough questions. I like to look at contemporary current thought. So when someone, and I quote, calls me stupid for my faith, I'll be honest, I get a little riled up here. Because there is evidence for my faith. Because faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ, is not stupid. When atheists like Richard Dawkins write, God is a delusion, a psychotic delinquent invented by mad, deluded people. Would all the mad, deluded people in this room please stand up? Very nice. I only thought a few of you mad, deluded people would catch that. The problem with that statement is we didn't invent God. God created us. We didn't just kind of one day say, well, you know what? I think I've got nothing better to do. Let's make a big omnipotent force. Let's give him all the power in the world and let's make him omniscient as well. That isn't what happened. He concludes that faith is blind trust. In the absence of evidence, even in the teeth of evidence, it is the process of non-thinking. I'll be honest, that last line ticks me off. It's not the God delusional thing because the Bible says that, it, by the way, when I read the Bible, Hitchings and, and Gould and Hawkins, they are in, or Dawkins, they are in the Bible. Atheism is in the Bible. Psalms chapter 14 and verse 1 says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So I want you to understand, the Bible just right up front says that there are people who will not believe in God, but that part is a given. The part that kind of aggravated me a little bit is to say that we are non-thinking people. Stephen Jay Gould, a Harvard professor, claims that creationists, that's me, are religious fundamentalists and not scientists. And that professionally trained scientists, virtually to a person, understand the factual basis of evolution and don't dispute it. Really. Did you know that in Tommy's office, there's a book by John F. Ashton, who's a PhD. He wrote the book in 2000 and it's in his fourth revision or fourth printing in 2003. The title of it is in six days, why 50 scientists choose to believe in creation. Now as the atheist said, almost to a person. And yet there's book after book by intelligent, articulate men and women who believe in the biblical view of intelligent design. In this book, there are scientists from the fields of mechanical engineering, biochemistry, 
physical chemistry, mathematical physics, hydrometallurgy, don't have a clue what that is, meteorology, to name a few. And in this book, you'll read about a geneticist who concluded that there must have been 150 billion forerunners to modern man in order for natural selection to be to happen and required by evolution to have taken place in the development of man. And he says the evidence of prehistoric man has not happened. He says the evidence for such vast numbers is in dire shortage. In the book, there's an orthodontist who looked at the evidence and discovered that European museums of fossil records of ancient man have been tampered and the evidence has been tampered so that the fossils fit their theories. Gould challenged us to examine the evidence. And in the book, you'll read about Kurt Wise, who studied under Stephen Jay Gould, this elite atheist in our land from Harvard. And he literally, Kurt Wise did, literally cut the Bible into pieces before totally rejecting evolution. You see, I think I stand in good company with educated men and women who have examined the fact and say, you know what? We've looked at the fossils. We've looked at the geological record. We've looked at physics, quantum physics. We looked at mechanical engineering. We've looked at biological chemistry. We've looked at the evidence and the truth still stands. And I want you to understand today, you can examine the evidence I want you to know the truth still stands. So let's think about it. Let's don't be non-thinking today. Let's examine the evidence. And by the way, if you're not an amener, because Don told you a lot of the crowd is gone because of the softball thing, but man, it still looks pretty good in here to me. Thank you, Jerry Wilson. (laughs) This is a good Sunday just to amen on. All right? And by the way, moms and dads, if you're not at amen and you go, have you know, pass, that's not really my thing. And, and I'll be honest, I'm so pumped and stoked about the message, I don't need your amens today, all right? Man, I'm fired up, I'm ready to go. I wish Stephen Jay Gould was sitting on the front row today. I'm so, I don't need, but I'm telling you who does need it. Our teenagers need to hear your faith expressed. Our college and career class need to hear your faith expressed. And you might even say, you know what? It's just kind of good today to reaffirm faith. So let's be thinking people. Let's examine the evidence. Let's be rational and examine the hypothesis that all life can be examined and explained by undirected, purely naturalistic processes of evolution. Like all other theories, Darwinian evolution must be continually compared with the evidence, said biologist Jonathan Wells. And we would all agree with that. If it does not fit the evidence, it must be reevaluated or abandoned. Otherwise, it is not science. It is myth. So let's examine the evidence. If you're going to embrace Darwinian evolution, here's what you got to embrace. Here it is. We've kind of enunciated it over the last four or five weeks or so, but here it is. Number one, nothing produces something. If you're going to be an evolutionist, if you're going to be an atheist somewhere for you to be here, to be here where the where you are, you got to believe that something came from nothing. Then non-life produces life. You have to buy into and believe that randomness produces fine-tuning. Chaos produces information. I would love to take 
the biologists and the folks who believe that line to a lot of the teenagers' bedrooms in our church. (laughs) See if that holds true. You would have to believe that unconsciousness produces consciousness and that non-reason produces reason. You say, well, wait a minute, where's the science in that preacher? That's, the, that's philosophy. You better believe it's philosophy. It's driving the whole movement. Let's examine this. Let's be thinking people. There is overwhelming preponderance of empirical evidence indicating that something does not come from nothing. Simple logic requires that nothing cannot produce anything for nothing does not exist. Did you catch that? And I want to help you because I want you to be thinking, you should have amen right there. Nothing on that first line cannot produce anything because for nothing to be truly nothing, then nothing does not exist at all. Does that make sense to you? And so when an evolutionist say, well, we came from nothing, it was just kind of the Big Bang and there was this kind of rip in the fabric of, uh, of time and space and whoop, we just kind of came from nothing. How can you come from nothing when nothing doesn't exist? There is no credit line or line of credit in this evolutionary reasoning thing. He says, nothing does not exist and therefore nothing has no power to do anything. The power to do logically presupposes the existence of the thing possessing that power, end of quote. Evolutionists say something comes from nothing. Does that even sound logical? Biochemist Klaus Dulce, and I think I said his name right, one of the leading origin of life experts conceded, at present, all discussions on principal theories and experiments in the field either end in stalemate or a confession of ignorance. The the evidence for evolution by their own admission is not there. Is there evolution to support what we believe? It's a great question. I believe there is. I believe that the God of the I believe that the God of the Bible is the creator of heaven and earth. I believe that in the book of Genesis, the Bible says that God created the world in six 24-hour literal days. Do I have evidence to consider? Certainly. I have more than something came from nothing. Look at cosmo, um, cosmology. You know, you see that from, from the first time. Thanks to space exploration, voyage of the Hubble telescope, Kobe, Einstein, or Einstein's law of general relativity, virtually all cosmologists agree the universe had a beginning. Whatever begins to exist has to has a cause. Now, the question you have to answer when you study this out is does it sound more feasible that something came from nothing or that in the beginning, God, a loving, omnipotent, holy, pure, caring, kind, gracious God said, let there be light and there was light. You say, well, I don't know, is it that? Yeah, it's pretty clear cut. The question you have to answer 
Even once agnostic astronomer Robert Jostrow conceded the essential elements of Christianity and modern cosmology are the same. He says, and I quote, the chain of events leading to man commits suddenly and sharply at a definite moment in time in a flash of light and energy. Praise God for Genesis 1-1 that says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then on the first day, he said, let there be light. And there was light. The evidence points to the Genesis account of creation. I've examined the evidence, and the evidence of the truth of God's word still stands. Let's examine the evidence of physics. As this field of physics has advanced, anthropic laws have been discovered. And there are 122 of these we talked about last week. Non-negotiable laws that must have happen and ingredients for life to be sustained on our our planet as we know it. For instance, Robert Collins said, and I quote, gravity is fine-tuned to one part in a hundred million, billion, 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 billionth. I can't even comprehend that. He said, we've got data from the field of physics that if our thing of gravity was off that much, you and I would not be here. The chances of all 122 anthropomorphic principles coming to being so that the universe of the earth could exist is 10 to the 10 to the 123rd power. That's a huge number. Any thinking person will look at the evidence and conclude that the universe and our world and that you and I owe our existence to a highly designed process. Let me quote, this evidence was so powerful that it was instrumental in Patrick Gwynn abandoning his atheism. He said, today the concrete data points strongly in the direction of the God hypothesis. It is the simple and most obvious solution to the anthropic problem. He said, I have examined the evidence and the truth still stands. Let's be thinking people. What about the world of astronomy? We always use the stars and the galaxy and the Milky Ways to to talk about those things. Astronomers Guilmero Gonzalez and science philosopher J. Wesley Richards says it would take a star with highly unusual properties of our own sun, the right mass, the right light, the right age, the right distance, the right orbit, the right galaxy, the right location to nurture the living organisms on the circling planet we call Earth. What's more, the exceptional conditions that make life possible also happen to make our planet strangely well-suited for viewing and analyzing the universe and our environment. All of this, they say, suggests our planet may be rare if not unique and that the creator wanted us to be able to explore the cosmos, end of quote. If that isn't enough, John A. O'Keefe, Harvard-educated astrophysicist who works at NASA, said this, if the universe had not been made with the most exacting precision, we could never have come into existence. It is my view that these circumstances indicate the universe was created for man to live in end of quote amazing the bible says in genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 let us make man therefore in our own image and god formed the man out of the dust of the ground and he breathed the breath of life into him so that man became a living soul created in the image of god You and I have a living soul. Examine the truth. 
And the truth of God's word still stands. Let's examine the field of biochemistry. Charles Darwin, the father of evolution, said, if it could be demonstrated that any complex organ existed which could not possibly have been formed by numerous successive slight modifications, my theory would absolutely break down, end of quote. That's Darwin's quote. He said, you find one exception, the whole thing unravels and falls apart. Biochemist Michael Behe has demonstrated exactly that though through his description of irreducibly complex. He said it wasn't just a simple small cell amoeba and it, and it mutated and became more complex and mutated and became more complex and mutated and became more complex. I believe if you'll do your study in biochemistry is that anytime mutation occurs, there is less information in the DNA and not more. Matter of fact, when our children are born with abnormalities, evolutionists would say mutations. There is not a parent who jumps up and down and says, oh, happy day, my son, my daughter has a mutation. They're on their way to the next level of evolutionary achievement. You know what happens when people have children who are born with issues in their heart, in their body, in that new baby's life, they call on somebody and say, would you pray for my child? Hmm. Biochemistry. So by biochemist Michael Beans has demonstrated that. He was saying that there was nothing simple, and let me quote he said, these complicated microscopic contraptions such as cilia and bacterial uh, flagella are extremely unlikely to have been built piece by piece through Darwinian processes because they had to be fully present in order to function, end quote. That's devastating to the Darwinian hypothesis. Certainly, as biochemistry advances, new discoveries are going to be found, but it will not alter the concept of irreducible complexity of life. Behe states, my conclusion is this. My conclusion can be summed up in a single word, design. I say that based on science. I believe that irreducibly complex systems are strong evidence of a purposeful, intelligent design by an intelligent agent. Have you ever read Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16? It says, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether they were created, things in heaven or on earth, visible and invisible. I just read that. Things in heaven and on earth, thrones or powers or authorities. And all things were created by him and for him. And by all things, he holds them together. What about the evidence from biological information? You want biological information? Check this out. The six feet of DNA, can I quote, coiled inside every single cell in your body. I, I misread that. Let me quote it again. The six feet of DNA coiled inside every one of our body's 100 trillion cells contain a four-letter chemical alphabet. You see it up on the screen. That spells out precise assembly instructions for all proteins from which our bodies are made. Cambridge-educated Stephen Meyer demonstrated that no hypothesis has come close to explaining how information got into biological matter by naturalistic means. In addition, he says... 
There is a dazzling array, or there should be a dazzling array of new life forms which suddenly appear fully formed in the fossil records with no prior transitions would have required the infusion of massive amounts of new biological information, and it just isn't there. And purely from an evidence of genetics and biology, we can infer that the existence of the mind that has that of a one far greater than our own. He's saying that there is an intelligent design, and I'll end his quote with purposeful, rational, intelligent designer who is amazingly creative. Isn't God pretty cool? Amen. Well, then there's the argument from consciousness. That you and I are different from the animals and the cows and the lambs and the dogs and sheep and the ant and, and the amoeba because we can think, we can feel, we can act. You can process, you can reflect, you can ponder, you can know. If you really want to know, you can know. And what's more, you can express faith. The principles and laws of chemistry and physics cannot explain our experience of consciousness. That soul part of us where we think, where we feel, and we act. It's the soul that truly gives life to the body. Darwinist philosopher Michael Ruse, he's an atheist, candidly concedes that no one, certainly not, the, not Darwinian evolution as such, seems to have an answer for the consciousness issue. See, they just don't know why you and I can think, we can love, we can feel. Or as the dad pointed out, why we can have compassion at all. Could it be that if you examine the evidence, the truth still stands that we were created in the image of God who is wonderfully passionate and gives us the ability to do the same. Science has much to teach us about the power and the precision of God. And scripture points in the same direction. Both reveal that God's strength is, God's strength is impressive, his wisdom unfathomable, and his rule is sovereign. See, if you examine the evidence, it's not that science stands object to what this book says. It's the philosophy of the day that stands against what this book says. See, atheism has less to do with science and more to do with a philosophical view of life. If you're a thinking person, if you examine the evidence, there's a portrait of God that appears from science and scriptures. Let me just give you a few. That he's creator. In the beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth, the Bible says, and the heavens are the work of your hands. God is unique. You, are, you were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God and besides him there is no other. God is, is, or God is uncaused and timeless. Psalm 90 and verse 2 says, Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the earth of the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And the Bible says that he's intelligent and rational. Psalm 104 and verse 24 says, How many are your works, O Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. And it goes on to talk about how God is immaterial and he's personal. He's enormously powerful. He's creative. He's caring. He's given mankind a purpose. And he provides, thank God, life after death. 
evidence. Evidence. You see, the greatest evidence I can give you is not only from cosmology and from physics and from biochemical information and from biology. I want you to know that the greatest evidence that I could give you about the love and the power of God is to be found in this room. It is the evidence and it's the power of a changed life. This room is full of people who were spiritually dead and broken in their sins, but God restored life and they became in the fullness expression of Jesus Christ and have a personal relationship with him and now they walk with him and have that personal relationship with him. This room is full of people who have been broken by the effects of sin and God in his love and his compassion and his tender mercy has helped put the pieces of a broken life back together. There are people in this room who without the power of God today would not be sitting here. They would be an alcoholic or they would be uh, in a narcotics unit. They would be in jail, in prison, or they would just be out not providing or, or being a scoundrel to their family. I am telling you, the greatest evidence I can give you that our God is real and Jesus Christ died on the cross to save us and free us from our sins is the evidence of the changed lives by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we see every day all around us. And it is that power. Man, there are some of you in this room. There's, there's Tom right here. Tom, just stand up just a second. Tom will tell you and talk to him. He will freely talk with you about it. He is a recovering alcoholic. And you say, man, it's pretty bold of you to say that in front. No, he is a testimony. He is a walking piece of evidence to the mighty power of a living God. Amen. I want you to hear from one more person. Where's Marty? I, I, I'm having trouble finding Marty. Is Marty, Marty, tell us your story. Uh, Kim and I, we both had a world of hurt in us. You know, my father died when I was 15, and he was an alcoholic. My brother committed suicide, and I probably would have ended up an alcoholic too. Uh, my wife and I, our marriage had fallen apart. She had a lot of hurt in her because her parents divorced when she was young, and and we just both were hurting each other over and over. Whoever could hurt each other the most wins, we thought. And uh, then a friend came and witnessed to me. Several people were witnessing to me. And I got saved. I accepted Jesus Christ. And he showed me that his word was true. And my wife started to see a change in me. And she didn't like it at first at all. She thought I was crazy. <laughs> but I made a promise to God that I was just going to stick with him no matter what. If I lose everything... I have God still, and I'm thankful that I stuck it out, and thankful that I'm saved, and that my wife is saved, and that my wife is changing, and I'm changing. I'm seeing her become a godly woman, and I'm grateful to see my son playing guitar, praising God, and Jesus is awesome. And Amen. Amen. You say, Pastor, come on, that's just two out of maybe 300 that's here this morning. I'm telling you, I, I wanna, I've been in vacation Bible school a couple nights, so I want to go, dude, I can tell you <laughs> that on every pew, there is a story of just how wonderfully God has changed and been real in their life. 
We are not like the Hindu who says God is there, but he's not knowable. We're not like Islam who says, well, there is a God, but we're afraid of him. We're not like an agnostic who says there's a God, but if there is, we, we can't know him. We believe that our God is real and that our God, who's creator of all, demonstrates his power through creation in such a marvelous, intricate, fascinating way that it draws us to look Godward, that it draws us to look outside of ourselves so that we can look at scripture and that the scriptures of this Bible can point us in the direction of Jesus so that we can understand that we're sinners, but Jesus Christ died for our sins so that if we confess our sins, he forgives us of our sins and gives us new life in Christ. Science and scripture, they point us to God. The Bible says if he takes care of the lilies of the fields, he takes care of you. Jesus talks about, he knows, a good shepherd knows the sheep and he knows them. By name, there are so many wonderful, just parallels of how creation and his care of creation and his care for us. But at the end of the day, you have to be a thinking person. At the end of the day, you have to examine the evidence. At the end of the day, you have to come down and say, okay, what am I going to believe? At the end of the day, you've got to let the evidence speak. There were many points of decision in the Bible. One man took, called the whole nation together and said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. There were others who one was blinded by a light and he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? The evidence speaks. Be a thinking person. Put your faith in God. Today you say, I believe in God. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about some force. I'm talking about Jehovah God of the Bible that loved us enough that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whosoever believes in him, Jesus Christ should not perish, but have everlasting life. You say, Pastor, I've heard you. Now I want you to choose. Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes for just a moment? There's two aspects to my challenge here today. I want to challenge you to do one of two things. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to express your faith in him. If it makes more sense to you that nothing came from, or something came from nothing, then believe that and embrace that. That rationalness, that, the ra- that reason came from non-reason, that, that life came from non-life, if all of that makes sense to you, then fine, believe it. You have that freedom being created in the image of God in your conscious soul. But probably you're here because you think there just might be something more out there. Be a thinking person. Weigh the evidence. And ask Jesus into your heart. You say, Pastor, I believe in God. No, 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 no. I'm talking about 
The way to God is through his son, Jesus. You cannot sidestep Jesus Christ. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, consider the evidence. And if you're here today and you don't have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ, would you right now pray this simple prayer to begin that relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, his son? And here's the prayer. Dear Jesus, just pray it in your heart. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I've examined and thought about the evidence. I choose you. Come into my heart and I'll live for you. In Jesus' name. Put a little amen on it. And just keep your heads bowed and eyes closed. I wonder if there might be several people here this morning. Just, you'll trust me enough. I'm not going to embarrass you. But man, I tell you what, our church would just be thrilled to know that today you prayed that prayer and asked Jesus Christ in your heart. We'll be thrilled. It'll be the highlight of our day. And I wonder if you just raise your hand and say, Pastor Mike, I prayed the prayer just now. I asked Jesus into my heart. I want to live for him. Thank you so much. God bless you. Anybody else? You just raise your hand. Thank you so much. And I appreciate that. I really do. How about one more? You say, Pastor, I, I prayed that prayer. I gave Jesus Christ my heart. I, I consider the evidence. And boy, it's the truth of God's word that I'm putting my everything in. Now, I want us as Christians, by the way, church, we all say amen for the two that ask Jesus Christ in their heart and in their life. We say praise God. Now just look at me for just a second. I want you to understand that even Christians have doubts. And one of the things I've tried to do over the last six weeks, barring that one week I was sick, is man, I just wanted you to go, you know what? Doubt removed. I still believe in Jesus. I understand that now. Doubt gone. I'm holding on to Jesus. But if we're honest, sometimes it's hard to hang on to Jesus, isn't it? Sometimes life gets a little rough and, and we kind of get beaten up in this thing of life. And, and sometimes whether you're a, a, a teenager who's in high school and, and you hear this stuff taught in school or you're going off to college and, and you say, you're sitting in a humanistic, institutional, educational environment and you're bombarded with naturalistic philosophy, man, sometimes it's hard to stand up for faith in that situation. But I want you to know the God who said, let there be, says to you today, I still care. And there's a wonderful verse in the Bible that says, cast all your cares on him. Doubts, questions, cast them all because he cares for you. And there might be believers here today and you just might be struggling in this area of faith. There's just private doubts and you listen to things and you hear things and you just try to make it all fit and sometimes you go, 
God is never afraid of an honest question. He is not taken back by an unsure doubt. And whatever it is you're going through, just as sure as Lee, as he said, let there be light, he says to you and me today, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. So would you bow your heads just one more time? I want to talk to us as the church. And maybe you say, Pastor, man, I... I do struggle with doubt. I struggle with this issue of faith thing. And I really want to believe. And I've heard the evidence. And man, I I just go, yes, yes, I want to believe. Even to a greater degree. I'm asking, I understand. I'm asking to be real transparent right here. I wonder if you would just say honestly and openly, Pastor, I boy, there are some issues of faith that I just really struggle with. I want to hold on to Jesus. I've heard the evidence and I believe like you that the truth of God's word still stands. Would you pray that my faith would increase and abound so that I can continue to grow in my relationship with Jesus Christ. So I wonder if you're a believer here today. Man, sometimes you just really wrestle with doubt and I'd like to pray for you. I really would. And all I'm going to ask you to do is what I ask folks who pray the sinner prayer to do. If you would just pray this prayer with me. And if you want to join us at an altar of prayer, if you just have cares and needs, you just want to pray in a a just kind of a special place, in a special way to God, not not mystical or magical, just kind of in in a very humbling way, falling on your knees and asking God for his direction, help and guidance, then I invite you to come. so here's the prayer Jesus Christ I love you with all of my heart I want to embrace you but I struggle with doubt sometimes the doubt leads me to act in inappropriate and ungodly ways forgive me of those Sometimes the doubt just makes me stop going forward in my relationship with you. Jesus, today I re-embrace you and all that you are. I re-embrace my faith. I re-embrace my Savior. I re-embrace my future hope in heaven. I re-embrace my forgiveness of sin. And God, today I re-embrace my desire to live and to walk with you. Because the truth of God's word still stands in my heart. You can just put an amen on that. And if you prayed that prayer, would you just raise your hand? Keep it up for just a moment. Man, many of you, thank you for your honesty. God bless you. You can put your hands down. 
look this way. In about 10 minutes, we're going to be done. As I was reading the atheistic literature, I'll be honest, man, I had to just kind of battle with just some really just kind of down days. Not because of my faith. My faith gives hope. What I was reading, man, it clearly said no hope, no hope, no hope. You having trouble in life? No hope. You having problems? Sorry. Naturalistic processes? No hope. Life kind of doing you dirty, kind of done you wrong? Sorry. It just happens. And man, over and over from Gould to Hawkins to Dawkins, man, it was like, no hope, no hope, no hope, no God, no hope. But then I went back to this book and it said hope. Said you got problems, hope. You're hurting, hope. And when it comes that you have to say goodbye to a loved one that knows Christ as your savior, it is not goodbye, it's good night. And I'll see you in the morning because of the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. of anybody. We are the people of hope because the God we serve and the son he gave, it all fills us with the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this morning, I want us to stand. And for the last few moments of our service, I just want us to re-embrace our faith and the hope of that faith and the joy of that faith and all that God is as we sing a couple of songs together. And they're not just songs to sing to round out a worship time. I want you just to let the Holy Spirit of God and what you know of this book and the truth of this book, oh, praise God, if it still stands in your heart today, then I just encourage you to rejoice and to sing and express your love for God who is the giver of hope and the creator of life and the sustainer of life and the bearer of our burdens and the lover of our soul. My joy is today is to just point you to Calvary and let's sing about God and his greatness and his goodness. Let's sing together. Oh Lord my God with an awesome wonder Consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe display. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou
Have a wonderful Lord's Day.